invite you to turn with me in your scripture to two passages this morning, two brief passages we're going to be reading uh, from the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, We're going to start at verse 31, so the very last verse of Genesis 1 through to verse 3. And then we'll be turning uh, to the book of Exodus, to Exodus chapter 20, and we'll be reading verses 8 uh, through 11. We're continuing our our short series on the fourth uh, commandment. And so last Lord's Day, we were looking at Isaiah chapter 58, and really the heart of the matter, uh, where the Lord calls us to call the Sabbath uh, a delight. And so this morning we go back to the beginning. And so this is the word of the Lord, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then if you turn over to Exodus chapter 20, in the midst of the Lord, uh, through Moses giving the Ten Commandments to his uh, saved and redeemed people who had been brought out of slavery in Egypt, and they were the Lord's treasured possession. And so we read there the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by grace uh, we have been redeemed. We thank you, dear God, that uh, because we are saved by grace, we know it is not of works that any man should boast. And so as we worship you today, as we read your word today, we thank you that, again, your word comes to us as a people who have redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we praise you for your grace. We thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would instruct us today, that we might know you better, that we might love you more. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we want to think together about what Sunday is to you and to your family. Uh, When you think about Sunday uh, today, the day of worship, uh, how do you think about that day? Uh, do you think about Sunday as a, uh, a second Saturday? Uh, do you think about Sunday as a, a second Saturday with maybe a church service uh, thrown in? 
Uh, do you think about Sunday as, uh, well, every other day of the week, except today you see some folks and you eat some special snacks that you usually don't? Um, is it a normal day with one or two holy hours, perhaps, thrown in? Well, our whole purpose of uh, this study in these three uh, sessions we're going to have here on Lord's Day morning, next week we will uh, conclude by looking at the day of resurrection. But the, one of the whole purposes of this is that we can truly sing with uh, not only our voices, but with our heart. A hymn we sang last week, uh, written by Christopher Wordsworth, called O Day of Rest and Gladness. We sang it last week, uh, and this is what we sang. O day of rest and gladness, O day of joy and light, O balm of care and sadness, most beautiful, most bright. Most beautiful, most bright. The day of rest and gladness. Well, last week, as I mentioned, we looked at the heart of the matter of the Sabbath in Isaiah 58. What's the heart of the matter? Well, the Lord wants us to call the Sabbath an exquisite delight. Do you remember that? Uh, That is to regard it his holy day. Acknowledge it and experience that holy day as an exquisite delight. And then Isaiah tells us that then we will find our exquisite delight in the Lord. When we set aside our own ways, our own pleasures, said Isaiah, and our own business and pursue the Lord's ways, the Lord's pleasure, and the Lord's business on the Lord's day, then we will delight in the Lord himself. So why and how are we to do this? How do we delight in the Sabbath? Why delight in one day of the week? Well, the following notice appeared in a newspaper report of 1884 written by a minister. This is what he wrote. There's been, a, there's been no small degree of excitement lately in this city arising out of the fact that the opera troupe at present performing in this place assisted by amateurs, placarded the walls of the city with the announcement that on Sunday, July 27, there would be given in the opera house a sacred concert. All was proceeding smoothly and evenly until Superintendent Thompson sounded the notes of warning. The thanks of the whole community are due to Superintendent Thompson for the action he's taken in the matter. And we trust that the great mass of the people who are interested in the proper observance of the day of rest will not dance to the piping of the opera troupe. For this is a question, said this minister, Uh, of the people and for the people who, if they allow, listen to what he said, if they allow any to defraud them of this boon to man, the weekly day of rest will bitterly regret it. 1884. This is a matter for the people. Uh, This is a boon. Well, you might be asking yourself, well, what's a boon? (laughs) I'm not sure if I want something that's a boon to man. Uh, Well, boon simply means something extremely useful, uh, helpful, uh, or beneficial. But the point is, this minister, at least in 1884, uh, believed that something vital was at stake in what we thought uh, about Sunday, or the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, the day of rest. But our question this morning then, first of all, is, is there a weekly day of rest commanded in Scripture? And, uh, and if it really is a boon to man, will I really regret it if I'm defrauded of it by myself or by anybody else? Um, do I have something to lose uh, by not 
considering these things? Well, the first thing we need to understand about the Sabbath in the Scripture is that it is a gracious gift of God to man. The Sabbath is a gracious gift of God to man. The verbal form of the word Sabbath in Hebrew means to cease or to bring to a stop. So Sabbath as a noun simply means a time of rest or cessation from work. It being understood, uh, cessation uh, from the uh, work which occupies us the other six days of the week. And this is what the fourth command says. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. One in seven days, a day to stop. But does the Sabbath predate the giving of the law to the people of Israel? That is, is this commandment in Exodus 20 only for the Jews? Or does it apply more broadly? Well, in Mark chapter 2, we have the the clear teaching of Jesus and a New Testament perspective on the Sabbath. This is what Jesus said. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, we're going to look at that second part of that verse. That's Mark 2, 27 and 28. We're going to look at that second part, that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath next week when we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ and why Jesus is called the Lord of the Sabbath and why the Sabbath is also called the Lord's Day. But notice here that this passage does not say that the Sabbath was made for the Israelites, but for man in general. That is, that the Sabbath is given by God uh, as a gift, not to the people of Israel in particular, but given to mankind in general. Now, what does Genesis say? Well, Genesis 2 tells us that God blessed or made holy, that is, sanctified and rested on the seventh day. Now, those verbs in Genesis 2, those verbs blessed and made holy are what's called intensive verbs which means this is not just God describing the day, but he is constituting the day. He is defining the day. He makes it what it is, that is, holy. And friends, make no mistake, this is described in Scripture as a gift from God. In fact, as we read from the book of Hebrews earlier in the service, Sabbath rest in the Bible is a picture of the eternal rest we will enjoy with God forever. Remember that? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There remains a Sabbath rest, and a day of rest reminds us that we can rest in God. Rest in him knowing he provides for all our needs, physical, spiritual, he provides. And he provides, of course, the Savior. Before the Israelites ever got to Mount Sinai here in Exodus 20 to receive the Ten Commandments, we find them observing the Sabbath on their way out of Egypt. Remember when the Lord sent manna and quail? The Lord sent manna from heaven. But he commanded the people, you might remember, to gather twice as much on the sixth day because the seventh, he said, is a Sabbath to the Lord and there will be no manna, so don't go out to gather. Some people ignore the Lord's command. They go out anyway and there's nothing there, as the Lord had said. And this is what the Lord said to Moses. Uh, after this happens, after the people ignore him, 
and his word and his command. And this is what the Lord said to Moses. See, Moses, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. See, the Lord says, uh, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's a gift from God. Uh, The Sabbath is a gift from the Lord at creation for all men. And in Exodus 20, uh, the fourth commandment calls us to do what? To remember. There's nothing new here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That is set apart for God. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then this, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He set it apart. Now don't miss this. The Bible is saying that the divine pattern, six days, one day, is given to man to structure his life and time. What God did, the Ten Commandments say, what God did at creation, six days, one Sabbath, one to rest from the work, to cease from the work. God never gets tired, but he ceased the work of creation, and he made it holy. That pattern, the Bible says, is a divine pattern for your life. You shall work six days, and you shall rest the seventh. This is why your week has seven days and not four. This is why your week has seven days and not 12. Because God established it that way. Notice, by the way, that if you try to add millions of years into the six days of creation in the Ten Commandments, that the fourth commandment makes absolutely no sense at all. The Sabbath has its origin at creation and is therefore understood as a creation ordinance, something given by God at creation, much like marriage, which God intends as a blessing for all mankind, for our good, and for his glory. As Jesus said in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man. It is a gracious gift. Now, there's no question but that the Sabbath has been a blessing to mankind. Pattern of six days work, one day rest. That various nations and political leaders have sought to remove this gift from the people only to return to it in later time is a further demonstration that this rest is a boon that is a great blessing, not easily removed or denied. You might remember France under Napoleon. You might remember Russia under Stalin, all trying to uh, tinker with six days and one day rest, the seven-day week. It didn't work and they had to go back. And so instead of receiving the gift, we have become and promote a 24-7 culture. Did you know that that's in the dictionary now? Uh, You can look up 24-7. So God says, here's my gift. You work six days, and then there is one day set apart for my holy purposes. That's my gift to you. But instead, we live in this 24-7 Culture. This is how the Oxford English Dictionary defines it, the term 24-7. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, constantly is how it defines it. It lists its uh, first reference to 24-7 is from the U.S. magazine Sports Illustrated in 1983. The man who first used it apparently was a basketball player, Jerry Reynolds. 
Uh, he said about his jump shot that he was good 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So that's, that's uh, what the Oxford English Dictionary, anyway, says was the origin of that phrase. In other words, he, will, he could always shoot that shot. Uh, but since then, it has been expanded to mean I'm available 24-7, I'm on call 24-7, we're open 24-7, I work 24-7. That is, as the Oxford English Dictionary says, constantly, no time for God, no time for rest, no time for worship. That is, if you adopt this 24-7 conviction, what you're saying is I reject the Lord's gracious gift to man. But when you do that, when you do that, um, there, of course, are consequences when you reject the gracious gift of God. Now, the world knows this. So Forbes magazine came out with an article, eight tips to stop working 24-7 and achieve, oh, achieve a healthier, more balanced life. Now, this is what they say. It's a common tenet of American culture that with a little hard work and determination, you can make your greatest dreams come true. While being a hard worker, says Forbes, is an admirable trait, it can quickly turn into a negative one uh, if your everyday life is consumed by work. This fact has been amplified, they say, by the remote work era. That's what we're living in now after COVID. When the line between work and personal time, says Forbes, has become completely blurred. For professionals who work from home. For any professional, however, it's best to strive, says Forbes magazine, for a healthier, more balanced life instead of working around the clock. And so then they, uh, they consulted the Young Entrepreneur Council to come up with some tips then. See if any of these tips uh, kind of ring a bell. Set fixed work hours and boundaries. Prioritize mental and physical health. Practice mindfulness. Plan out your week in detail. Develop and stick to a schedule. Uh, create time blocks for unplugging. Now, does any of that sound familiar to you? Oh, uh, well, you could follow those steps or receive the gracious gift of God. God's intention in originating and gifting this day to mankind, friends, should be determinative for our understanding. Notice, of course, the fourth commandment is both a command to rest and a command to work. Six days of working, one day of resting, said the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Don't forget that. The fourth commandment is also a command to work for the glory of God. Arthur Pink sums it up well. The more diligent and faithful we are in performing the duties of the six days, the more shall we value the rest of the seventh. It will thus be seen that the appointing of the Sabbath was not an arbitrary restriction upon man's freedom, uh, but a merciful, merciful provision for his good. That it is designed as a day of gladness and not of gloom. It's the Creator's gracious exempting us from our life of mundane toil one day in seven, granting us a foretaste of that future and better life for which the present is but a probation, and thereby be equipped for taking hold with new consecration and renewed energies upon the work of the coming days. We should be grateful for such a gift. Did you know that Jesus said to the apostles, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And God's given us this gift of rest. Call the Sabbath a delight. 
It's a gracious gift. It's as old as creation for all men. And it's also a gift filled with purpose. There's a reason that God sets uh, six days for work and one day as his day. Because that day is to be filled with glorious purpose. Now, growing up, uh, it's not always our experience that we're grateful for the gift of the Sabbath or the Lord's day. No doubt my own ungratefulness in my life was related to a, a lack of understanding where the day came from. That is, that it was a gracious gift from God, not a miserable day imposed on me by my parents but a gracious gift from God. But um, it also related, no doubt, to my lack of understanding of the the purpose uh, for which the day was given. And uh, and growing up, I think, uh, with my folks, um, perhaps the thing I learned very clearly was what not to do on the Sabbath. But I I was fairly short on what I should be doing. What actually is the purpose then? Well, yes, to rest. But if you do not understand that this day is a gift and meant to be, as Isaiah says, an exquisite delight because of what you are doing, you will never regard it as such. A day of delight in the Lord. You know, that hymn we sang last week says it all. Let me just read a couple things here. O day of rest and gladness, O day of joy and light, O balm of care and sadness, most beautiful, most bright, on thee, that is on this day, the high and lowly through ages have joined in tune, singing holy, holy, holy to the great God triune. On this day, throughout history, all ages, singing holy, holy, holy. Today, another verse goes, on weary nations, what happens today? While the heavenly manna falls to holy convocations, the silver trumpet calls, where gospel light is glowing with pure and radiant beams and living water flowing with soul-refreshing streams. That's what happens on the Lord's day. New graces ever gaining from this our day of rest. We reach the rest remaining to spirits of the blessed, to Holy Ghost be praises, to Father and to Son. The church, her voice appraises to thee, blessed three in one. Now, here's the thing. The hymn we sing, uh, that, we, that we sing, that O Day of Rest and Gladness, reminds us of Isaiah 58. That we are to rest from, set aside my ways, my pleasures, my business, and give myself to the ways, the pleasures, and the purposes of the Lord. That's the purpose. To cease your own work, pleasures, purposes, pursuits. And to give yourself wholly to the plans and purposes and work of the Lord. The fourth commandment again reads this way. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. That is, the Sabbath is made for man. It's made for all men. It's made for you. It's made for your children. It's made for for your neighbor. It's made for your servants. It's made for your animals in the field, others living among you. It is not rest from your work, but feel free to have others work for you. No. It is rest from your work. It is rest 
from the work, your neighbor's work. It is not have a blessed day of rest for yourself, but feel free to make others work on your behalf or to somehow serve you. It is rest for you. It is rest for your neighbor. It is not business as usual. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. As you know, that 28 states today, 28 states today still have what are called uh, blue laws. Here's one description of blue laws. Blue laws are laws designed to restrict certain activities on Sundays or other specific days for religious reasons to observe a day of worship or rest. Did you know that? Oh. Blue laws also may ban shopping or ban the sale of specific items on Sundays. Blue laws commonly regard alcohol. While blue laws may seem unconstitutional because they are based on religion, the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled them constitutional by citing, and that's interesting, by citing that blue laws secure a day of rest for certain workers and guarantee the free exercise of religion. There are certain days of the year, of course, that you can't find a store that's open doing normal business. Instead, their workers are all resting. What days are those? Well, maybe Christmas, uh, maybe New Year's Day, I think, sometimes, maybe Thanksgiving Day, Independence Day, Memorial Day. Now, just think about this. No one, no one seems to bat an eye when the government says, this will be a day of rest. And we all dutifully follow. But when the Lord says, one day in seven is to be a day of rest for all men, my gift to you, my holy day, not the government's holy day, my holy day, not your holy day, my holy day, given over to me, we ignore it. And we ignore God's commandments, friends, and neglect his gift um, to our own hurt, because there are consequences, of course, to rejecting the gift of God. Listen to Nehemiah, the prophet, Nehemiah 13. He said this, in those days, said the prophet, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods, sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. And then I confronted the nobles of Judah and I said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day or the Lord's holy day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? He's referring to the fact that God's people were sent away into exile in Babylon. Now, said Nehemiah, you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. That is the day of rest commanded by God in the fourth commandment. You hear what Nehemiah is saying? He's saying to the people, listen, your stores are open for business as usual on God's holy day. Sports leagues plan their games for Saturday and the Lord's Day. We would expect that of the world. But why would professing Christians, friends, shop, eat out, go into work, 
carry on with their schoolwork, watch the same amount of television, work in their yard, do the same laundry they do the rest of the week, as if the Lord had not spoken about this day at all. Why do we do that? Because if we do not honor the day as holy, of course, if we do not positively fill the day with what is pleasing to the Lord on His day, we'll have a lot of time on our hands, and we will look for other things to do. Well, what honors the Lord? Well, yes, rest from our work, but there's more. The Sabbath, you see, was never meant to be one perpetual snooze uh, where you stay in bed uh, all the day. What do we confess, actually, about uh, what it is good to do on the Lord's holy day? Well, our confession of faith uh, puts it this way in chapter 28 of the confession of faith. This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, that is, doing all we need to do in those six weeks before, do not only observe an holy rest all the day, do not only observe a holy rest all the day, from their own works and words and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time, that whole day, in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. So rest, the Lord says, cease that work from those six days. This day is holy to the Lord. And what honors the Lord? Yes, resting from that work. But also, we confess, simply being taken up into the worship of God, into the service of God, in, in, in acts of necessity, things you have to do in order to be here, in order to worship the Lord, acts of mercy. Uh, Jesus says, is it, it, it is good to do good on the Sabbath, to serve others, and to worship the Lord, taken up in His worship. The Old Testament speaks of holy convocations on the Sabbath. That is, holy gatherings, holy assemblies, so that people together as God's covenant people can be taken up in the worship and service of God. That's why Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't, says the author to the Hebrews, neglect the assembling of ourselves together in holy convocation so that we might be taken up in the worship of God. The Sabbath, friends, is a day of rest and gladness, a day of rest and worship. We rest from our own business, our own pleasures, to pursue the business and the pleasure of the Lord. Hmm. When this commandment's repeated in Deuteronomy 5, friends, we get a better picture of the purpose of the Sabbath. There, instead of appealing to uh, the commandment at creation, uh, the people of God are specifically called to, on the Sabbath, to remember their redemption. Notice what Deuteronomy 5 says. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Remember, 
that you have been saved out of Egypt, you've been saved from slavery, saved from sin, you have been set free by my grace and by my grace alone, therefore, keep this day holy to the Lord. Friends, for God's people, the Sabbath is not only a day of rest or ceasing from daily work, but a day of rejoicing in the redemption of God. And of course, for the people of God in the Old Testament, this redemption still had a a forward-looking aspect, even as their resting had a forward-looking aspect. In other words, the Old Testament Sabbath uh, was a day of rest and remembrance, but also a day where full rest in Christ, full salvation in Christ, could not be fully experienced and enjoyed, because they were looking ahead to the coming of the Messiah. But you and I are not there. We are here. We are living uh, post Resurrection, so the day of rest and remembrance for us is also a day of celebration and a rest and redemption fully accomplished in Christ and yet to be fully experienced in glory. The Sabbath is a day then to celebrate God's sovereign grace in redeeming an enslaved people. Are you wondering how to honor the Lord on His holy day. You rest from your work, the Lord says, and you get yourself taken up in my worship, remembering what I have done for you in your salvation. And and serve me, you see. Worship me. Give yourself wholly to me on my holy day. Well, friends, you know, we're that enslaved people who are to celebrate God's sovereign grace in redeeming us. We're the ones who are to remember our slavery. Apart from Christ, the Bible says we are slaves to sin. Jesus tells us he's the way, the truth, and the life. Through faith in him, through faith in the truth as it is in Jesus, we're set free from all guilt and shame, the power and dominion and the punishment of sin. We're free from sin. We're free to serve. We're free from bondage to an oppressive uh, master Satan, and we are set free to bondage to righteousness and, and our glorious, good, and merciful master, the Lord Jesus. And the Sabbath is a day for rest and celebration of our redemption. And so if that's true, I will seek out opportunities to worship the Lord on that day. And I will not neglect to worship the one who has saved me from slavery to sin. Because I love him, and I want to serve him, and I want to honor him, and I want to honor him on the special day he's given me to honor him, to set aside everything else I do, and so I'm going to seek out every opportunity I can on that day to bring him glory and honor. Because I belong to him, and he has redeemed me. You know, negative views, of, negative views of the Sabbath are often associated with the Puritans of the 16th and 17th century. That is, didn't the Puritans, whom we studied in adult education for a lengthy time, didn't the Puritans make the idea of the Sabbath a bore and a trial and a burden? Well, James Dennison did a study of this, of what they actually taught and believed, and he uh, titled his book, the market day of the soul. 
the market day of the soul, because that's what the Puritans called the Sabbath. Just think about that for a minute. The market day of the soul. So you imagine a 16th century outdoor market, and you've got apples and pears and cherries and fruits of all kinds. You've got vegetables and meats. Let's say you've got clothing, you've got shoes, you've got tools. Think of a trip to Costco or, uh, or to Sam's Club. It's the market. But instead, instead of filling your basket with cereal and bananas and cabbages and furniture and appliances, you're filling your basket with the spiritual riches from the shelves of the storehouse of God's grace and truth and love and mercy and wisdom and power. You're gathering up uh, gospel gems. You're seeing the beauties of Jesus Christ, seeing that in the Lord you find all you need. The Sabbath is the market day of the soul. That is you not gathering up uh, you know, food and such like that, but gathering up the spiritual food that God has for us in Christ. In a sermon on Colossians 3.11, Christ is all, the Puritan Thomas Watson said this, Christ is all fullness, he's all sweetness. He is all that is imaginable, all that is desirable. He who has Christ can have no more, for Christ is all. Jesus Christ is the quintessence of all good things. He is all. Christ is a treasury and storehouse of all spiritual riches. You may go with the bee from flower to flower and suck here and there a little sweetness, but you'll never have enough until you come to Christ. For he is all in all. Christ is all in regard of righteousness. Christ is all in regard of sanctification. Christ is all in regard of acceptance with God. Christ is all in regard of divine assistance. Christ is all in regard of peace with God. He who lacks Christ lacks justification. He who lacks Christ lacks the beauty of holiness. He who lacks Christ lacks his freedom. He who lacks Christ has no ability for service. He who lacks Christ has no consolation. He who lacks Christ has no salvation. And it's a, it's a, it's a market day, you see, for the soul gathering up all the gospel gems of who Christ is. And, and as Isaiah tells us, Elsewhere, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Taken up in the worship and service of God because we're gathering up all the rich food that God has for us stored in his word. Have you ever seen someone who loves shopping, you know, who loves shopping, going out to shop? They're radiant. I can, well, anyway, uh, they're radiant. They're beaming. You know, I'm going, Sam's Club, Erica, Costco, uh, whatever it is. Can't wait to see what precious things are available today at the market, at the store. This is the believer on the Sabbath. This is what the Puritans believed, you see. That in their own personal devotion on the Sabbath, in their devotions with their families on the Sabbath, when they're gathering with God's people to hear God's word on the Sabbath, to sing God's praises, to serve others, to minister to others, to do good to others, to visit the sick, invite others to their home, having any kind of spiritual conversation. Uh, this is what they believed they were doing, gathering up all the glorious riches of Christ for the week to come. Sadly, instead of the market day of the soul, for some professing Christians, keeping the Sabbath as God's gift 
and the holy convocation of God's people uh, is, well, what can we say? I mean, it's more like a, a quick visit to the dentist. You'll go, <laughs> and you'll keep it, that appointment, if you absolutely have to. Oh, but it's painful. And if anything else comes up, I will set it aside. You're happy to leave it for another day. You certainly wouldn't go twice in one day if your elders call you to worship the living God. I mean, who would go twice in one day to the dentist? On the other hand, who wouldn't want to spend the whole day in a market filled with delights? Over 100 years ago, One minister likened the disappearance of a sense of purpose on the Lord's Day to an attack on the Christian life, which attack was not being countered by the church. This is what he said. I much mistake the temper of Christian people, no matter how much they may differ on minor points, if they do not resent most vehemently these attempts to defraud them of their rights and liberties, When the foe menaces the citadel, every man ought to be at his post with his weapons furbished, ready for battle, and working men and women cannot remain idle spectators of the fray. Sunday is a halting place in the march of life and brings in its hands sweet rest and higher and more lasting blessings for those who are willing to embrace them, you see. Well, he said, did Sir Matthew Hale say, a Sabbath well spent brings a week of content and health for the toils of the morrow. But a Sabbath profaned, whate'er may be gained, is a certain forerunner of sorrow. Friends, the purpose of this day is that our hearts and minds might be filled with the light in the ways of the Lord, and in particular, delight in the Lord himself. Given at the creation as a gift for our good, the Sabbath described as a day to the Lord, my holy day, the holy day of the Lord. And so it should be surprise, no surprise that in the New Testament we read of a certain day called the Lord's Day. Both the Old Testament Sabbath and the New Testament Lord's Day are holy to the Lord. Indeed, they are one and the same. One day in seven set apart to delight in the Lord. But something happened in history three days after the death of Christ that would forever change when that one day in seven would be celebrated and would forever change why the rest and the joy and the delight of that day would be filled with an even greater, more exquisite delight than the saints of old could ever have imagined. A day uh, when one would say, standing at an empty tomb, he's not here. He is risen, just as he said. And that day, (laughs) we'll speak of next Lord's Day. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your grace and mercy to us, your good gifts. We know, Lord, that all good gifts come from above. And, oh, Lord, we confess that in our sinful nature, what you have given to us is a gift from above for your glory and for our eternal good. Lord, instead of thankful hearts, Lord, we have grumbling hearts, or we disregard your gift, or we don't see the purpose of your gift. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray today that we would understand, Lord, that you have given us one day in seven, that we might set aside all those things that are good things you've given us to do throughout the rest of the week, our callings and different concerns. But, Lord, you've set aside one day for us to meet with you, to gather in all those riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we might be able to go into a new week in our calling refreshed, filled, nourished with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, then this day to honor this day as holy to the Lord, set apart from all the rest, a day of rest and a day of gladness. May it be so for your glory and for our everlasting good. Amen.